Super Bowl, please, and step on it. Yay! And so, ladies and gentlemen, we have come to the start of Super Bowl. This brand new $300 million stadium was completed just one short week ago. And it's scheduled for demolition early next month. America's priorities are a joke. Now, here's the kickoff. Wow, all these people are going to see Dad's show. Oh, I paid a thousand dollars for this seat and I can't even see the game! Just poke through! Let's go! And coming at you from the basement of the basement of WCBTA 20 in Chicago, this is the Sports Cubicle, where the inmates run the asylum and our boss, well, he's gonna yell us tomorrow morning because we're working overtime, or maybe he won't be. He might be a little hungover from the Super Bowl too. Who knows? I hope I can say that. Happy Super Bowl Sunday, everybody! Isn't it weird how the Super Bowl always falls on a Sunday? We got some exclusive content that if you listen to the podcast, you've already heard this interview. But if you did not listen to the podcast, here's our exclusive interview with the Chicago Steel president, Dan Leif. It is going to be a jam-packed episode of the Sports Keep It Go here with the marvelous one, Dan Marver, Devin Single, Paul Shavari, and myself, Mike Mercado. And of course, we're going to be making our Super Bowl predictions. Of course, we're going to be hitting all the crazy news that's happened throughout the week in the world of sports, Chicago and nationwide. But we have a very fun treat. We have something that we don't get to normally do. Dev, what do we have going today? Well, today, Mercado, we actually have president of the Chicago Steel and two-time Dave Tyler USHL Executive of the Year, only guy to win it twice, by the way, Dan Love. Dan, thanks for joining us today. Thank you. Yes, I, I make my wife introduce me that way when we meet new people, so I, I appreciate that. And you're still married. That's even better. So uh, Shockingly, yeah. yes. <laughs> So, Dan, uh, Chicago Steel on February 18th has Blackhawks night coming up. So I just want to say, I mean, other than the Blackhawks being the mainstay of Chicago hockey that we know is, what kind of made you uh, think to have a Blackhawks night? And more importantly, how did you get Stanley Cup champion Brian Campbell and Tommy Hawk to show up for you? Well, we've been really fortunate. We've been at the Fox Valley Ice Arena since 2015, and we have had a partnership with the Chicago Blackhawks ever since to present a, a night like this, Chicago Blackhawks night. They're always extremely generous in terms of access to, to former players. Uh, Tommy Hawk has been a big hit coming out to uh, our games in the past and, and entertaining our crowd. We've had Jim Cornelison out in the past to sing the national anthem, not just for Chicago Blackhawks night, but also for uh uh, times that we've advanced to the Clark Cup final. So uh, they see the the greater opportunity to, to help uh, advance hockey in this market. We collectively work towards that uh, from a grassroots standpoint uh, all the way up to the USHL where we are, to the American Hockey League where they have their affiliate in Rockford, and then obviously to the National Hockey League level. So uh, proud to be partnered with the Chicago Blackhawks on this event and, and really other initiatives that, um, that we can find to, to help grow the game in our area. So since you've taken over and you've kind of, you know, your family and everybody's been part of this community coming up in 2015, in the midst, if, if not the ending of that dynasty run, did you ever think that this market would charge and fall in love with the sport of hockey for a new generation the way it did watching all these young cats come up? You know, obviously we know about the Canes and Tays and like the major mark, but the, the youth, the youth hockey kind of taking over and having resurgence. What has that done for you? Were you surprised how that just took off in this city and this market? I wouldn't say that we're surprised because of the incredible success that the Blackhawks have had. 
and the work that they've done at the grassroots level to try and grow the game. There was always a, a strong presence in Chicagoland for youth hockey uh, that has obviously grown exponentially. What what surprises me or uh, is, is actually we bring in a new intern class to work for the Chicago Steel every year. And those interviews, it's pretty consistent. When did you fall in love with the sport of hockey? Well, I was watching game six in 2010, or I got captivated by the Blackhawks run. I was never a hockey fan until, you know, and they'd name, you know, Jonathan Taves came along or Duncan Keith did this. And so that's, what's been incredibly impressive to, to me is just, seeing it firsthand how this you know this generation doesn't surprise me because of the work that the blackhawks have done at the grassroots level and and we'd like to think that we contribute to that uh as well but it's it's those conversations those individual conversations i was never a hockey fan and now i want to work in the industry i want to work in sports i want to find a way to break in and so uh you know where we are on the ladder of development being the ushl the best 16 to 20 year olds that come to our league uh they go from here mostly to college hockey though you do get the rare exception that makes that jump directly to the nhl what's awesome for us is that we have this whole new generation of fans who are hockey crazed that want to see future college and pro superstars that want to see Macklin Celebrini come and play for us and all of these other names that you're going to be hearing at the United Center several years from now. So it's been an awesome transformation in this market. And we, we do give the Blackhawks a ton of credit, and not just for the work they did on the ice, but off the ice as well. Dan, I'm, gr- I'm glad you brought that up because uh, Paulie Dangerous here, he uh, he loves, he's our resident baseball expert. He does a great job of covering the league, but something he's very passionate about is minor league baseball. And something that we're very passionate here on the Sports Cubicle is the economic and the the relationship between local teams and its community. And you're seeing that. I love hearing your your connection with the Chicago Steel and the, the relocation and how you're integrating yourself, you know, in, in the community. But, you know, this is something I, we're going to throw to Paulie with, but I wanted to wanted to ask you before we throw it to Paulie is how important is it for you seeing in all the major sports where specifically baseball, where it was a, a big part of the community to kind of do the same where you guys are at to really I- install yourself as a tradition, as a place to come watch the youth, as a place to honor and, and, and kind of give new life to the game. How important is that for the organization, for you, the players, the staff to kind of being that new part of a community? So I worked in baseball for 11 years, and one of my mentors is Mike Veck, the son of Bill Veck, who's in the Baseball Hall of Fame for owning, you know, four teams. He owned the White Sox, obviously, uh, introduced the exploding scoreboard at at Comiskey Park uh, and brought the idea that baseball can be fun. It doesn't just have to be about wins and losses. It can be about the experience. And Mike, I think, has the the best line uh, that goes along with what you were saying. And that line is, a community doesn't need a team, but a team needs a community. And there's no truer statement. In order to do what we do at the minor league level, we need the grassroots support. We need to be involved in youth hockey. We need to be involved in various initiatives that are important to the local community uh, in which we play. And so it's a must. It's not a a want or a desire. Like we, we have to do that. And it's the only way that we can grow from a grassroots level. And so the Chicago Steel were in Bensonville for 15 years and then made the move to Geneva 
in the summer of 2015 with a change in ownership, seemingly overnight. I came into the organization in August of 2015, right as we were making the move. And we started playing that season, that 2015-16 season in September. And so over the past seven and a half years, we've tried to, to, to grow that bond. And we've tried to do it in a, in a bunch of different ways, certainly from a youth hockey standpoint, um, but also reaching out to local municipalities. Who are the nonprofits? What are the charities that we can be involved with? Where can we volunteer? How can we introduce people to the Chicago Steel? And, and selfishly, how do we develop our players? Because our, our job is to develop the players that we have, not just on the ice, but educationally as well they're going from here to to college and so they need to have their 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 academics in order um but as human beings and so a lot of that is the team volunteering that we're doing uh running character development assemblies in school and healthy living assemblies and things along those lines so it's integral to what we do and then in turn we we benefit from that and it's wonderful to see new fans come through our doors and recognize how incredible the product that we have both on and off the ice is and they can then go back and say i saw these guys when um and the best thing about the minor leagues as you guys know baseball hockey just across the board is the accessibility the accessibility to players autographs after after every game the chance to chance to to meet the players uh in the lobby that they're just they're kids that that shine hasn't worn off for a 16 to 20 year old that's playing in the ushl in terms of a a kid coming up and asking for their autograph that's as exciting for our players as it is for the kid that's making that request so it's an awesome level to be at and it, it goes back to you know a, a community doesn't need a team but a team needs a community paulie you were mentioning that uh you know interning or working with mike vac so that just makes me think of some of the creative ways that Mike and his father brought people out to see their teams. Uh, what are some of your favorite promotions that you've done over the years that have helped attracted people to come and see the seal? Well, we're never going to match vasectomy night on father's day, the, the Mike Beck promotion in Charleston, South Carolina. Like we're, we're just not, we're not, we're not going to be able to, to reach, to reach those heights. Um, you know, it, it's funny. We, we look back and there's a mix of irreverence that we that we love and trying to step, you know, step outside the, the box and, and do the, the minor league, you know, thing, which I think in the past probably, you know, people look down on and they, you know, the, the minor league antics. Well, well, now you see it at the major league level. All these innovations of, you know, running the bases after the game and fireworks shows and concerts on the field all started at the minor league level at least many of them did and now have made their way to the to the pro level because you realize it has to be about fun it has to be about entertainment it has to be about bringing not just hockey fans to the rink but non-hockey fans to the rink uh, and giving them something beyond just the sport on the ice like we're, we're confident you're going to fall in love with the best live sport on the planet on the ice but it's those other things um that we do the the teddy bear toss that we do annually where uh you know which has become a junior hockey tradition we didn't start it but we certainly are, are proud to take part in it where um when the the home team scores its first goal of the night everyone tosses a stuffed animal onto the ice and it's donated to to charity um we've done 
Blades of Steel night, going back to the old uh, old video game Blades of Steel, and had a had a blast with that. Um, I'm trying to think of the of the best of on the spot. They all seem to blur together, and, and again, um, some of them won't rise to the same level of uh, of a Vecchian type uh, type promotion. Um, but it, it's the idea that can we get people to the rink, um, give them a compelling reason to come here, and once they come here, they're going to fall in love, and then the ability to do it affordably. Like that's that's what we're selling. We're selling a ten dollar ticket, free parking. Um, affordable concessions and uh you know for for your kids i have an eight-year-old and a six-year-old this this is as cool as it gets for them to to it it doesn't matter that the player in the jersey um isn't getting paid you know hundreds of thousands of dollars to play for them it's the experience that it's all about so uh it's it's been awesome dev well, Dan, if you're ever looking for another promotion, you can have sports cubicle night. The kids could try to race us on the ice and we'll fall on our faces constantly because we're old men and these kids just glide right past us. But I do want to ask Dan. Uh, we do human slingshot bowling during intermission. So there um, we go again. You, you guys are, are certainly eligible to participate. <laughs> There's three of us. <laughs> but uh, Dan, I just want to say um, you've been in this team since about 2015 now. And what would you say is your greatest accomplishment so far? Like what you're most proud of that you've done since coming in here? Uh, it, it hasn't it hasn't been me. It's been the the group of people that we have, um, and, and that's probably what I'm most proud of is that the development aspect has translated and permeated our organization at every level. We've moved players on to collegiate hockey uh, and ultimately to the pros. Certainly, we can point to uh, recent successes, having the number one overall pick in the draft in Owen Power uh, two years ago, who's now having success at the NHL level with the Buffalo Sabres. Neighbors, uh, to us is just as awesome as Mark Johnstone, who came in here, uh, you know, didn't have the the buzz around him in 2015, 2016, became our captain the following year, um, went off, had a successful career, Sacred Heart became the captain there, and is now in the American Hockey League with the Toronto Marlies having success. I think he had two game winning goals um, or two goals the, the last in the last week. And so it, it's a combination of those stories of, you know, the really highly touted players that we've been fortunate to, to work with and develop um, and and have success in the NHL draft that year that Owen got drafted we had three picks uh, in the first round uh, with Matt Coronado to the Flames and Mackie Samuskevich to the Florida Panthers um, this you know this year Adam Fantilli is going to go either number you know one two or three one's probably taken at this point after Connor Bedard's performance at the World Juniors but um, perhaps number two perhaps number three um, and he's having an unbelievable year at the University of Michigan right now. Uh, so he's a Hopi Baker candidate as a as a freshman. But then on the coaching side, we, we lost our coach a month before this season began, Brock Sheehan. Why? Because he got a job at the Carolina Hurricanes as the head coach of the Chicago Wolves. How awesome is that? And, and, and Greg Moore before him, moving from the Chicago Steel to the Toronto Marlies as their head coach. Two years earlier, Dan Hughes, who helped us win a Clark Cup in 2016-17, goes from our bench to an assistant coach for the Nashville Predators in the National Hockey League. Ryan Hardy, our general manager, now an assistant general manager with the Toronto Maple Leafs. So those are the types of stories that I think we're, we're proudest of, uh, of really sticking to development. Yes, we've we've hung banners and we've won two Clark Cup championships. That's, that's awesome. 
it's about development here and uh and the way that we've done it um i i would like to think is is unmatched in in junior hockey um at least the the style and way that we've gone about it um and and so that's that's what we're proudest of Dan, this is something that I really wanted to run by you. And, you know, if you could tell by our significant others, we like to talk and engage with people who are way, way, way smarter than us here on the sports cubicle. So obviously you are here classing up the place and making us all seem smarter and giving us some credentials, some ben- some benefits, if you will. But this is something I want to run by you, right? Where we're in a new, new age of sports. Things are changing and we incorporate different teachings. We, we learn from mistakes, right? And here locally, it was a heart. It was a gut punch. Some of the, the news that came out from the Blackhawks and the lawsuit and everything. And it's something we've covered here. And then on the ice, the way the game sport, the changes, the sport changes, whether it's rule changes and implementing them, the Chicago steel, the organization, the family, how open have you guys been? Are you guys to being open to changes, to adapting to when something like that happens, to install it in the age group that you that your athletes are, the fan base, the community, to see some of these things that have happened, whether it's the Big Brother organization, all the way down to the local mom and pop bakery, to install and make sure that you're in the the forefront of innovation and also making sure that you're keeping up with everything social because these are athletes that are going to be part of our community how important is that as an organization somebody like you who is so well respected that the the chicago Steel are doing that you know it's a great question and you touched on it in the question the age group that we have we are so fortunate that we get the players at this yeah, and we're a young team for our league so mostly 16 17 18 year olds and we have a unique opportunity to help shape the future hockey culture. And we take that really seriously. And so it's a big part of, of what we do, um, how we go about our business. We take a lot of pride in the fact that we're not just developing hockey players, we are developing young men. Uh, they are in our care. Uh, some of whom are away from home for the first time. They live with host families in this area. Um, I think we only have one player from this market, from Chicagoland, uh, on our current roster. So the other 24 guys are from all over, some outside the, the United States. Um, and so it's this network of our coaches and our staff here at the rink our housing families at home, our education coordinator who's working with them academically, uh, all teaming up to try and and mold and develop these 16, 17, 18 year olds. And uh, this is what's happened in this market uh, certainly has resonated throughout the, the hockey world and the hockey community. And we, we reached out to the Blackhawks uh, shortly after and said, how can we help? What initiatives can we partner on? Um, Can we push forward? Because we're fortunate. We get these players at this age where we feel like we can make an impact that's then going to resonate in locker rooms for years to for years to come. And uh, we we work with USA Hockey as well on that and and various initiatives. So, yeah, it's it's top of mind um, and uh, and and something that we think about every day. 
Dan, uh, we could do this all day. Uh, Dev's going to bring us home in just a second. You guys have awesome stuff coming up. But before we let you go, is there anything, you know, we're here in Chicagoland. We're here to support. We love youth hockey here. We think there's something great about just general, whether it's sports, club sports, or it's your, your music, whatever. There's something about the youth being active that, you know, we're all about here on WCPT, on the sports cubicle. And before we, you know, we let Dev kind of tag it all and bring it all home. Is there anything that you want Chicagoland to know? Any Anything that they, any way they can support, any way they can can enjoy what you guys are doing, the awesome uh, stuff you and the team are doing over at the Chicago Steel. Come to a game. That that's the biggest thing. Is if you haven't been to a Chicago Steel game, come see us at the Fox Valley Ice Arena in Geneva. As, as I mentioned, tickets start at ten dollars. Um, there's uh, you know free parking, um, and the product you're going to see on the ice. These are future NHL players. Um, they're future collegiate uh, stars uh, on our roster right now. I mentioned him before, Macklin Celebrini, who is projected right now as the potential number one overall pick in the twenty. 2024 draft. Uh, we have several players that have already been selected by NHL teams and others that will this coming June. Beyond that, it's family fun. It's it's affordable. It's entertainment. There's a theme every night. Uh, we have Chicago Blackhawks night, as you mentioned, coming up on the 18th of, of February. Um, the following day, we have a, a sports card giveaway, Chicago Steel trading cards that we'll be uh, giving away coming up over the course of the year. We have military appreciation night. We have wiener dog races you can enter your your dachshund to, to take the ice during intermission um and participate in our annual wiener dog races uh, we mentioned slingshot bowling there's always something fun that's going on it's a night of of entertainment akin to minor league baseball um and so if you haven't been to a steel game make a make plans to join us we still have a dozen or more home games over the course of the year and we hope to make a long playoff run as well a huge shout out to uh, you, Dan, to the Chicago Steel, to Rachel, and of course, you know, our amazing, the best producer and co-host, Devin, for setting this all up. Dev, uh, you want to bring us home, my guy? Sure. Dan, if they want to buy tickets, where should they go? ChicagoSteelHockeyTeam.com. We couldn't get a longer website address, <laughs> so uh, we had to stick just with ChicagoSteelHockeyTeam.com. Thank you, Dan. That was uh, President of Chicago Steel, Dan Lev. And I mean, unless you want me to call you President of Chicago Steel. And again, two-time Dave T- Tyler, USHL Executive of the Year, only two-timer, Dan Lev, whichever you prefer. It's all on the business card. Don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for joining us, Dan. We are feeling good as we are all enjoying our garbage food and amazing drink this Super Bowl Sunday weekend. But before we talk about the big game, before we talk about everything that happened between the Chiefs and the Eagles, I have to get a lot of things off my chest because this past Thursday, we saw the NBA trade deadline come and go. And we all woke up to some crazy news. Kevin Durant heading over to Phoenix. But you're... My, our Chicago Bulls stay pats, and we're going to talk all about it. It is the marvelous one, Dan Marver, Devin Single, Paul Shavari throughout the show. I'm your host, Mike Mercado, here on the Sports Cubicle on WCPT 820 AM. Thank you for making us a part of your Super Bowl weekend. Marvelous. There are a lot of, a lot of movement. You know, this being Super Bowl week, it was impressive that the NBA was able to really take the news cycle. And I think it's because the two week draw last week was the real hype week. This week was just get to the game, but kudos to the NBA 
and the NBA tread that line for really giving us something to, to sink our teeth into, but it frustrating as a Bulls fan. And I'll get to why I think it's frustrating, not just because they didn't make a move for move sake, but we still don't have any clear idea where this team sees themselves or where they're going. But let's talk NBA really fast. What did you think when you saw Kyrie Irving is now a Dallas Maverick? You have Kevin Durant now heading to Phoenix. The NBA is kind of just another quick and amazing swing. All of a sudden, the power dynamic has changed. Your thoughts on what you saw at NBA trade deadline? Well, first of all, wasn't that halftime show by Rihanna amazing? (laughs) And And secondly, well, it's like a poker game. I mean, we're standing pat with the hand we have. I mean, there were rumors about all kinds of stuff, like Avin going to the Knicks, and, and there's still some some talk about Westbrook, you know, not being ending up with Utah. So, and, but it, you know, that may change in the next few hours, or maybe it changed and we didn't and we didn't know it yet. So, in any event, uh, standing pat, maybe that that means that they're happy with the hand they have. On the other hand, <laughs> uh, with free agency and salary caps and everything else. You'd think they would have made some move, but, uh, you know, right now they're on the playoff cusp still, and uh, perhaps they feel like they don't want to meddle with the the formula, even though the formula is a little sub-500 right now. So there are some trades that fascinate me, like what exactly is Dallas thinking with Kyrie? I mean, I understand Kyrie is a hell of a point guard when he's not, you know, acting crazy, but there is also the dynamic of you're developing Luca, you know, is how much of a distraction is that going to be? And we know the contract situation coming up with Kyrie. And I think with the KD move really fascinates me is this is somebody who is going to end up on a team like that. You would know that Brooklyn thing was destined for failure, playing only 16 games together as, you know, the full big three. It's, I mean, that's going to go down in history. You talk about 30 for 30, like how that thing blew up. And I think it was just expedited by the pandemic. So if you're looking at the power dynamic in the NBA right now, I guess the question comes to if a healthy Golden State plays a healthy Phoenix, who wins? Like that, that, here's the thing, right? Like, I don't, if I'm a Western Conference team, I don't want to be a top seed having to play uh, the Golden State Warriors in an opening series. This is, this is again, shaping itself to be a very interesting Western Conference. And you still have Memphis out there that, you know, for a long time, people were thinking are the darling of the Western Conference. Now they become kind of the, the black sheep. They're the ones everybody wants to go. They're the agitators of the Western Conference. And some teams got buffed up. How about the Lakers? not making a big move. You know, you talk about the Knicks were in on Zach Levine. That's some of the rumors. You would think the Lakers would be interested in somebody like a Zach to be the second on that team. But Russ is no longer a Laker. And I guess we could transition to the Bulls a little bit because, you know, the NBA in itself, it was just, it's the second greatest league in in the United States for a reason. You know, it, it's amazing when it, it, you do see activity like this, how how engaging it becomes. But look at the Bulls side. 28 out of 30 NBA teams made a trade this season. The two that didn't, the Cleveland Cavaliers, who are a pretty damn good team, and got Donovan Mitchell earlier on, and the Chicago Bulls. And we saw Arturnus Konoshovitz actually do a media round and – you know, I, I want to say this, Marver, before I forget. You know, I was really high on AK and Mark Eversley. I am a little disappointed 
in the lack of communication to the fan base. You know, it was one thing expected from John Paxson where he was only going to talk to David Schuster on Christmas morning, right? But, you know, Theo Epstein and, and Jed Hoyer and what we saw with the Blackhawks, like these organizations that are transparent, that communicate, that have a relationship with the media and with the fan base goes a long way. And I feel like we haven't seen that with AK and Mark Eversley. And maybe it's just the way they're running the organization and who am I to tell them, right? But this is something that he said on Molly and Hall just this past week. We are active regardless if we made deals or not, but we just couldn't find any deals that were going to help us this season and going forward. That said, we believe that this current group is going to give us the best chance the next 28 games again. These 28 games, we are going to be evaluating the group. The next step is to make adjustments during the draft and free agency. Okay, so if if that's the case, why are you bringing in Russell Westbrook? Why are you in these conversations? Because what you need is a point guard to facilitate the offense, play defense, and your team needs to shoot three-pointers. <laughs> they don't shoot three-pointers. They lost that game to a depleted or a new-look Brooklyn Nets team because they decided to trade twos for threes. You don't win that in the NBA. Marvelous. Your thoughts when you hear that from the uh, executive vice president of the Chicago Bulls. Yeah, you're right about that. Uh, it seems like one of our best three-point options, uh, the Sumno, maybe uh, Caruso. But the interesting thing is, if you recall, there was talk about DeRozan going to the Lakers when he came to the Bulls. And you know who the Lakers took instead? Westbrook. So it would be interesting if they played together in Chicago. Um and I don't know if that helps our three-point shooting or not, honestly. Uh, so it helps our, uh, <laughs> our shooting from, from 15 feet, maybe. <laughs> Which they, so, don't, um, they don't have any problems doing already. Yeah. So the question is, with this team for the remaining games, they feel that this is what they want. And sometimes change isn't necessarily a positive. But you feel and many feel – that they should have done something. But I would argue you don't just do something for the sake of doing something. So there's two sides to the coin on this. I mean, if they end up doing well, making the playoffs, winning a series or two by some miracle. <laughs> yes. Then, then, yes. <laughs> depending who they play, then uh, the, the choice is, is, is sound. But uh, – I mean, they do. I mean, they they still have a pretty good foundation, except for the three point shooting. But they do have people on the roster that should be able to shoot threes. And I don't understand why that isn't happening. Maybe they, it may, you know, they, they get open looks, and so it isn't like they they're they're avoiding the threes. It's just that um, they're not making them for some reason or other. And it's very frustrating because you know you've mentioned it like the. the- Talent is there. The, ro- the the roster is there. I think the problem with this Bulls team is there's a lot of really good NBA players on this team. The problem is, is when you're defined by Alex Caruso, where he's the culture of your team, that's a problem because you know you're going to lose him for X amount of games because he's diving on the floor for, on every play. And you, I think, and we've seen reports, Joe Cowley actually tweeted it out. A, he covers the Chicago Bulls where – the Bulls aren't in love with Zach Levine. And here's the thing, right? I believe Zach Levine earned the max contract. But 
That doesn't necessarily mean I love that he signed it with the Bulls. It doesn't mean that they weren't in a position where they had to sign him. And speaking of signing, speaking of trading, this comes to another thing where it's not as to make a move for sakes, for just the sake of making a move, but what are you doing with Nikola Vucevic now? Because he's going to be a free agent next year. So do you re-sign Vooch? Well, what does that mean for your your foundation moving forward? Like, Vooch is a nice player, but again, when he has Zach Levine and DeMar DeRozan on the court with him, they vortex that ball. They, they go away from Vooch. And we've seen when the Bulls this season are most successful is when the offense is running through him because Lonzo isn't there. So I think that, again, where the indecisiveness comes into this play. And they don't have room for to bring in a free agent. They don't have draft capital like you would hope if, like the Chicago Bears do, for example. So I'm wondering where he's getting free agency and draft. You know, I, I understand that there's a lot of this team wants to develop their guys. Where's Dalen Terry? Where's pa- Where's Patrick Williams? So it, there is some frustrating parts to it, and I don't know how much I blame the front office, the coaching staff, or if it's the players. And it's probably a mixture of all of them. But these are the things that we, you and I, have talked about. You and I, you and I have, uh, you know, have been observing it after the first forty games of last season. Since that point. Since the all-star break of last season, we've seen this decline. And we've been talking about it here on the Sports Cubicle. It's the marvelous one, Dan Marver. It's Devin Single, Paul Shavari, uh, Mike Mercado. We are talking about a busy Ed Me A trade deadline, except for ours, yours, my Chicago Bulls. And Marvelous, I want to talk about this as well. I think they do believe in this team. I do think that, you know, AK brought it up in the same interview that how many games that they only lose by one possession, by one point. Yada, yada, yada. We've heard it all before. Okay, I'll give you that, right? And I'll even give you the grace of being the number one team the first half of last season. So you make the playoffs. Okay, let's just go through the standings of the Eastern Conference right now. The Celtics, the Bucks, the Sixers, the Cavaliers, the Nets, the Heat, the Knicks, the Hawks, the Bulls in the ninth seed. Now you have the Wizards, the Raptors, and the Pacers all fighting for that 10th seed. So I think, obviously, the Bulls are better than the teams below them. But at what point, where in this in this order, in these standings, does anybody believe that the Bulls are better than these teams? You know, you could have fooled us last year. We're using that as the grading, the grading scale. But they have not earned that this season for us to be like, yeah, you know what? Let them have a series against the Atlanta Hawks. Because Trey Young isn't going to cook them. You know, like, you see what I'm saying, Marvelous? Yeah. Yeah, I see what you're saying. And don't forget the 7 through 10 isn't the long series. That's It's like very quick mm-hmm. because uh, the you know, two out of three. <laughs> yeah. So that's one thing. And, and you know, I was looking at, at the stats, and it's funny. The guy that has the highest percentage of three-point shooting is Patrick Williams. <laughs> that's unbelievable. And, <laughs> so I, I thought that the that, uh, Sumnu or White or Caruso would be higher in the percentage, but they're not. And, and uh, the one that takes the most is Levine, actually, not far behind is Vukovic. So, I mean, the, the, the guards aren't producing for them. So maybe they did need to add a guard. That would be what I would say uh, that they that they could have used, just some three-point specialist, like a Max Struess, <laughs> <that they, laughs> who they had. <laughs> In any event, um, uh, you know, this is going to be interesting now because 
there isn't that much distance now between them and and the teams near them, even the some below them, the Wizards. I mean, they're not that far behind, so they can't afford to lose so many games and keep and stay in the seven through ten uh, playing. And being three games below five hundred and giving up games like they did against Brooklyn. This team gives games away. They play dumb basketball sometimes. I mean, when a few weeks ago with Zach with that bad play at the end of the game, like we look at, I, I hate being hard on these guys because I give a lot of credit to Zach on bouncing back in his career from those horrible knee injuries. DeMar DeRozan becoming an ace, becoming the star in Toronto, conforming and being a great team player for Popovich in San Antonio when all of a sudden Kawhi wins a title in, and in Toronto and stays humble, stays classy, comes to Chicago and redefines, recreates his career. I love the stories of these dudes. I think Vooch is one of the awesome forgotten players in the NBA. But there is no denying that the mixture is not working. There's a lot of bad ball at times. And if and, and we're going to be critical, I think it's fair to, well, what's the suggestion? Well, how would you do it better? It, if you want the Bulls to be just a little bit better, win those one possession games, DeMar needs to take a foot back, just a step back. And all of a sudden, a lot of these games are decided because he doesn't shoot enough threes. I don't care if he makes all of them. If he makes two three-pointers in a game, it changes the whole dynamic. Zach Levine needs to play defense. He doesn't need to be Kawhi Leonard. He needs, it cannot be five on four when he's on the court. It can't because too often it is. Sometimes when it, depending on the guys out there, it's five on three. You can't be reliant on Alex Caruso to be your culture, to be your heart. That only works when your team is the number one, number two seed, has a bunch of superstars and he could do his thing where he can be that agitator. He can be the guy that hits a big shot, who could set up the offense. He, Alex Caruso is the best player you can have on a championship-ready team. But you're not seeing that right now because he has to do too much. You brought in Dragic and Drummond, but you don't have the – you're not put in the right position because you're not winning the games you're supposed to where you can have two old dudes go out there and end the game, get a big rebound, hit a big three. That's where they're brought in for so I think right. that's where the reason it's not working is because they're not winning. Yeah. And, and that's the most frustrating thing is you're like, well, what comes first? The good roster or the winning? Yeah. And I, I do think that we, we, you and I weren't doing the show yet. The sports keeper hasn't had it existed yet. But, you know, when I was in, in school coming up and we were doing podcasts, the big term was basketball hell. I think the Bulls are there now. I think the Bulls are back to basketball hell. What do you think, Marvelous? Uh, I think that this is base, a turning point for sure. Here's the interesting thing, though. I was looking where the MLB, where they had their new wild card format, two out of three with two games or at the higher seed. Yeah, it's actually different in the NBA. Mm-hmm. They have a 7-8 game, and the winner of that game is 7. Yes. <laughs> then the 18 plays the 9-10 winner. So it's it's a little different. It's kind of crazy. They think they changed it from the COVID year. It was a little different in the COVID year. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it isn't even two out of three. No. So you can get hot, you can get cold, and uh, and you're done in the playing tournament. So, it, uh, you know, it's, 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 uh, it's kind of like a one and done instead of a two out of three. <laughs> now, that, now that I look at it. So 
I think they're going to be in the playing tournament in some fashion. But I, I'm, I'm more thinking about 23-24 now. You know, what, what happens then? I mean, who's going to be in the team then? They, there's free agency, there's salary caps, there's all this good stuff. And you know, I, I've been a little disappointed in some of the younger players like Kobe White, to some degree Patrick Williams. I mean, and Terry hasn't even really been involved yet. So the future of the younger players, I mean, these older players in their 30s are not going to be around forever, which is the foundation of their team right now. So they really need to go a little younger unless they're going to completely go free agency. So it's just a matter of the future, too. Just like we talk with the Bears, we're already looking at the next year because this year is going to be kind of maybe a play-in tournament. But, you know, even if they make the play-in tournament, then they after that they play Bucks, Celtics, Sixers, whatever, and that would be tough. So this team isn't good enough to really beat one of those teams in a series right now. So we the best we can hope for is make the playoffs and have a nice little run in the play-in and maybe – you know, get lucky and, and, and do really well. But this team needs to develop some youth or get some free agents because these 30-plus players that are the foundation aren't going to be around forever. Marvelous. Uh, I remember it might have been October, November, you and I were doing a segment on the Bulls. And I mentioned they're setting themselves up. They have to be setting themselves up to be ready when a disgruntled star is ready to make a move. And I think they're further from that now than they were before. And that's scary because if you're not getting Victor and Ben Yaba, if you're not getting the number one pick, you're not drafting at number one. It's tough. It's tough to find a Luca at four or at a six or to find a Wade at seven. You know, it it's, doesn't happen. It's a rarity. That's why we're able to pick them out. They're no closer to getting a star. And here's the thing. I, again, there's no shade. We like these players. We, we, could, we could acknowledge how great these players are and still be critical of them. Go down the list. When do you hit the names? And shout out to DeMar, DeMar for being an all-star. But go down the list. When do you start hitting the names, DeMar, Zach, when you start doing top players in the NBA? The 20? 25? Like, it, it's hard. And unlike Major League Baseball, unlike NHL, unlike the NFL, there's only two rounds and nobody really puts stock in the second round. And there's only, every team has a lot of money to spend. And there's only so many unicorns. So I am hoping that I am wrong. In, and six months from now, we can come back to this very segment and be like, hey, it worked out. They did this, they did this, they did that. I know it's not easy to win a title. Look at uh, uh, Jason Tatum, right? Like how a beast he hasn't won one yet. Right. What would we give to have a player like that? Right. But it's just, I want to, I want this team to be in the conversation. They were on national TV after doing nothing in the trade deadline and lost that game to Brooklyn. That should not, the standard should be better than that. Not just for the city of Chicago, but for the Chicago bulls after coming back from Paris and still being one of the foundations in the NBA, they need to be better than that. And that, that to me is the real shame. Marvelous. As we start <laughs> winding down, I mean, we're going to watch all the games. We'll be ready for Cavs and Bulls and ready for the week uh, after Super Bowl. But your final thoughts heading into yeah. these, bat, like these last 28, 27 games and what probably is a play-in tournament game. 
Right. Well, that's what we're sort of assuming. They'll be seven through ten, and hopefully they won't be eleven. <laughs> and you could, you know, if you're seven or eight, you, you know, that would be good because then you can win one game and proceed. But if you're nine or ten, you have to win two games to proceed. So uh, there's a big difference there. And uh, they have the big three that you know that, that they can carry them. Somebody's going to get their thirty point night all the time. And it's been, you know, DeRozan has been remarkable. I mean, last year, I think he built, beat Will Chamberlain's record for the most consecutive games of having X points and an X rebound. So great. he's been remarkable. Yeah. No, he's so great. I think that they, they have this, the talent, you know, for now. And I believe that's what they're saying with this lack of trading that they want to uh, sail with this boat <laughs> for, through the year. And, um, then we'll see what happens in the future. But I, I think that the that the schedule looks pretty decent where they don't have too many bumps in the road and they, they should be able to stay near 500, which would get them in the playoffs. Let's see if they can get over 500. I'll leave you with this one, Marvelous. We, we've said it. Uh, I, I'm sticking to my prediction. I still believe Lonzo does not play basketball this season. Uh, where are you now on the Lonzo ball court watch? Is he? I still think he's not playing this season. Do you think he plays this season? I don't either. It's, I mean, I thought he would play last season. <laughs> I mean, we'll see what happens. I mean, I don't think that he will. Like I say, the next three games should be a good indication with the Cavaliers and then the Magic and the Pacers. Those are teams that, that, that you know, that they match up well against. So that would be a good start to the, the final couple dozen games to uh, to see what happens. But Ball, I wouldn't count on him at all. You know, it's, it looked, it's like kind of a mystery that it takes this long. And since it's taken this long, I have no expectations that, that he'll, he'll be playing this year. Yeah, it's a shame. I mean, we wish him the best. And we know that that he's grinding at it. But when the body is just resisting, the body is just resisting. And this was one of the worries of signing him. So we'll hope to see that he and the bulls are on the other end of this and just try to survive Cleveland. You know, you steal that game and just try to feel good vibes, but we'll, we'll keep it tuned in here to uh, see what they do. We'll see if they buy out Russell Westbrook. You might know this by the time you're listening to this during Super Bowl Sunday, if Russell Westbrook is now a Chicago Bull. But with that, let us know your thoughts on the NBA trade deadline. Kevin Durant is now with Devin Booker and Chris Paul, DeAndre Aiden. What a stacked team. It's going to be fun to see them and the Bucks in the NBA Finals unless Golden State decides to ruin everybody's tournament. Uh, let us know your thoughts of the crazy trade deadline. We're on Twitter at SportsCubicle TV. It's the marvelous one, Dan Marver. It's Devin Tingle. It's Paul Shavari. I'm Mike Mercado. I know you're emotional. Man, one of y'all said the Chiefs were going to take it home this year. Not a single one. Feel that. Feel it. And on top of that, next time the Chiefs say something, put some respect on our name. Clips courtesy of Fox Sports. Hello and welcome into a very special segment as we are breaking in live here on the Sports Cubicle on WCPT 820 AM and at WCPT820.com as the Kansas City Chiefs have beaten the Philadelphia Eagles 38 to 35. Patrick Mahomes is Super Bowl MVP. And what a game, one that is going to go down in history as a modern day classic. Patrick Mahomes, 21 for 27, 182 yards. 
three touchdowns on a bum ankle that he hurt early in the game. Pachenko went for 15, 15 carries, 76 yards, and a touchdown. You saw Travis Kelsey with six catches, 81 yards, and a touchdown. And Kadarius Tony found his way to the end zone. Sky Moore found his way to the end zone. And before we get too far, a quick shout-out to Jalen Hurts, 27 for 38, 304 passing yards, one Passing touchdown, but three rushing touchdowns on the goal line, 70 rushing yards. And Devontae Smith, a big day, seven receptions, 100 yards. A.J. Brown, six catches for 96 and a touchdown. Dallas Garter with six catches and 60 yards himself. And I am here with Devin Tingle. You've heard throughout the entire show, Paul Shivari, the marvelous one, Dan Marver. I'm Mike Mercado and... Devin, what a wonderful game. Your thoughts on this amazing, amazing matchup between the Eagles and the Chiefs and Super Bowl 57. Well, I must say, first off, it's pretty clear. You can do a lot of stuff on a sore ankle, I must say. I mean, Patrick Mahomes rushed for, I believe, uh, yeah, 44 yards. He managed to rush this game on a bum ankle here. It's like I freaking stubbed my toe. I don't want to sit down for 40 minutes. So huge shout to Patrick Mahomes. And of course, Jalen Hurts looking phenomenal here. I mean, I think if it wasn't for the bum ankle, he may have been one of the few guys to be on the losing side to win the MVP trophy here. But definitely, you know, a very close game, very exciting game. Fourth quarter comeback, you know, just like the last time Andy Reid and the Chiefs won it all here. And just I was definitely worried, you know, as we saw earlier in the game when uh, Townsend missed that first field goal. So I'm like, oh, this could really blow up in the Chiefs' face here. But, you know... Managed to work, smart management, smart play calling by Andy Reid, a guy that I wonder if the Eagles are starting to regret letting him go. Uh, how many years ago was this now? Uh, just my only... A few years at this point, over a decade. Yeah, just the the only downside is Matt Nagy now has a Super Bowl ring, Mercado, and that just puts a very, <laughs> very sour taste in my mouth. Well, here's some things that I took away other than Matt Nagy winning himself a Super Bowl. This is the weird parallels now and how the Kansas City Chiefs have put themselves in the same realm as the New England Patriots, the Bill Belichick, Tom Brady, New England Patriots. This is a team that it doesn't matter if you keep them in a game, if they're allowed to stand the game that they are going to be dangerous, that they're always going to have a fighting chance. You saw it time and time again over the last few years with this Kansas City team, and you saw it back in the Tom Brady, New England Patriots. I think some big moments, obviously that penalty that was on Ju- that uh, on the passing first, the holding over on Juju Smith at the end of the game, allowing Kansas City to really seal the game and allow them to get that field goal at the, get- at the end, allowing Buckner to kind of get some form of redemption and – I think what really just kind of puts it all to rest is what they did, knowing the juggernaut of a better roster that the Philadelphia Eagles team is. They're by far a better roster on paper. And to see how they answered in the second half. Devin, I want you to listen to this, okay? The Chiefs in the second half, zero penalties, zero turnovers, zero punts, zero sacks allowed, and only one incompletion, which was a throwaway. That is how you keep yourself in a game, and that is how you take a lead in a game, and that is how you seal a game, a Super Bowl, and put your stamp and a legacy to put yourself amongst the greats in your industry, in your sport, and that is where the parallels of this Kansas City team to that New England team are, where a great coach, a great quarterback, a great system, and no matter how better the opponent may seem, 
no matter how great the odds may be in the middle of the game, this team will not go down. This quarterback will not be shook. And they walk away with another Super Bowl and cementing their legacy and him cementing his legacy right now in a league that has a bunch of killers that are nipping at his feet. He puts himself ahead even further. Devin, your final thoughts. This was great to kind of check in in Super Bowl 57. The Kansas City Chiefs win another one as they beat the Philadelphia Eagles 38 to 35. We are here on the Sports Cubicle on WCPT 820 AM and on WCPT820.com. Make sure you're following us on Twitter at Sports Cubicle TV. Devin, your final thoughts on Super Bowl 57. Well, let's see. Mahomes is now five Super Bowl wins away and two Super Bowl loses, uh, Super Bowl losses away from being in that, you know, Tom Brady category that, you know, a lot of people want to throw him into here. But definitely just overall exciting, good Super Bowl. A lot of back and forth. Uh, you are a friggin' wizard. You predicted so much in the second half correctly. I'm going to have to ask you for the winning lotto numbers next time around here. But it's an overall exciting game, great playmaking, and just phenomenal players here. And I mean, Jalen Hurts and the Eagles may have lost, but I mean, I don't think the Eagles are, have anything to really be upset about as this was one hell of a phenomenal game here. And I just want to close it on this as we saw Jalen Hurts, you know, a phenomenal running quarterback lose the Super Bowl. Maybe there, there's a running quarterback in uh, the city of Chicago who can... Uh, Maybe go to the Super Bowl and actually win it. Just, uh, may, may, maybe, maybe, Mercado. Mm. I could be wrong. Mm, In the it's future. almost like you're a professional, Devin, because my final thoughts, my closing thoughts, <laughs> as we put to rest this NFL season, a wonderful Super Bowl 57, one that saw the Kansas City Chiefs finish the Philadelphia Eagles 38-35. to 35. Patrick Mahomes winning the Super Bowl MVP is Justin Fields and this Bears team can get to this moment. They have to do the right thing. They have to do the right thing come this draft. They have to get the right players around Justin. And then things have to fall their way. But the idea that they're, they don't have the guy, that they don't have the personnel to do this, that it's not possible. You watching this game, that if you make the right moves, that if you're competent and you have a little bit of luck in this crazy sport, you can have a matchup like we just saw in Super Bowl 57. So please go get T. Higgins. Go get a bunch of draft picks. And maybe... Just maybe we can see the Chicago Bears and Las Vegas for Super Bowl 58. But until then, let us know your thoughts. The Kansas City Chiefs are your Super Bowl champions, beating the Philadelphia Eagles 38 to 35. Patrick Holmes, your Super Bowl MVP. For the marvelous one, Dan Marvel. For Devin Tingle. For Paul Shavari, I'm Mike Mercado. 